Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of David Evrani Aleva Shalom Liun Nishmat Shmuel Ben Mashiach Naamat Nejad. Shmuel Ben Mashiach Aleva Shalom, sponsored by Miss Yochi Hakimian, Amanda, and Matan Evrani and family. Um, as well, the deluxe breakfast in class today is dedicated in honor of his wife, Rachel or Rachel Miri, sponsored by Benedetto Kalun. Rachel Mira. Look at what a Sadiq he is. He's only just married. Already he's dedicating things to his wife. Wow. You learn from the best, from Matan. Amazing. Hashem should bless you. Bezat Hashem to have the best marriage ever. Week of Cobra was sponsored by Avihai Y. Daniel and as well sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Rabbi we have a very special treat um, uh, for us. I, I would get, we'll begin today's class by saying Viva Las Vegas. We have George, Michael, and Elliot Haruni, who are constant listeners of the class on the opposite side of this country. But for the first time, they're here in person joining us in the class. It's always nice when we have long-time listeners, first-time attenders joining us for our class. Ashrechen, you should be zochet to learn much Torah, to become Tabidech Chachamim and grow in Torah Mitzvot. Okay. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Begurei Aviv. That's not an echo, that's Sammy Sutton. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Begurei Aviv. Sammy, there's people in Australia who's like, who's this Sammy Sutton guy? I'm going to tell you. I get phone calls. They want to know who that is. Who's David Asher? Who's the... The sky said, what is cold brew? People ask me these questions, okay? Now, Vayeshev Yaakov, Yaakov settles Be'eretz Megurei Aviv in the land of the dwelling of his father. That's where he settles. But there's a very interesting Midrash that tells us what seems to be almost the exact opposite point of view. And I always find it interesting uh, where the power of the Midrash is to get us to look at the same Pasuk, but almost like, you know, sometimes... In the morning, when you're like bleary-eyed, and you take out the socks, and you put on the sock, and then you, you turn, and then you walk out, and the lights are on, and you realize you put it on the opposite way, you put it on inside out, right? It's a problem. You have to turn it inside out now because it uh, doesn't match the other sock. Okay, so my friends, sometimes the midrash has the ability to do that for us. It takes a pasuk and it literally turns it exactly inside out. And you're like, wow, I never thought of that. I never, I never had. I, I can't believe it. Um, so let me give an example of what that looks like in this in this pasuk. Sounds like Yaakov is dwelling in the lands in the land that his fathers dwelled. Comes the midrash and says, "Nope, it's a continuation of last week's parasha." Now remember, for us, there's this psychological divide between what came before and what came now, because that's last week's parasha and this is this week's parasha. But in truth, in the Torah, they follow one another. One pasuk is literally right before the pasuk before it, okay? So the pasuk that we ended off, we ended off reading about last week, was all the kings of Esav, if you remember. And the last pasuk that we read was, uh, the, one of the last pasukim that we read was, that there were seven kings that Mashem Malach, the Fnei Malach, right? Before, ruled amongst Israel, a Jewish king, Okay? All of a sudden, we start reading how Yaakov settled in the land of Israel, right next to Esav. 
Says the Midrash as follows. Listen to this. Mashal lema hadavar dome. To what can this be compared? This can be compared to a person who's traveling along the road and all of a sudden he comes across a pack of wild dogs. And they're barking and they're surrounding him and he's terrified that they'll tear him apart. This is not something that we experience so much on the streets of Manhattan, wild dogs. You don't really experience that. <clears throat> right? In order to do that, you've got to go to an Eagles game. No, joking. Right? You, you don't experience... You don't experience... <laughs> You don't experience wildness. The Giants fan in me is coming out. You don't experience uh, a wild dogs. But if you ever go uh, to some far off places, um, in my life I've been, I've had the chance to travel for various trips um, for outreach to, to interesting places. Uh, in South Africa, they have wild dogs. These wild dogs that run, they run, they're like, they're like wild animals. They're like, it's like bumping into a wolf. It's like bumping into a lion or a cheetah. They can attack you, they'll surround you, they'll tear your flesh off your... It's not like they're not used to eating kibbles and bits. They're used to eating people, okay? Or they're used to eating animals, they tear them apart. So the Midrash says, what? this guy is surrounded by a kachel klavim, a, a big a pack of dogs. Suddenly the guy realizes he has two choices. And this is true, by the way, even about domesticated dogs, because on a certain level, you can't take this out of the nature of a dog. The worst thing you could do is if you're afraid of a dog is run. You run from the dog. What does the dog smell? Fear. Smells the fear. He also sees you. Again, on an, on an evolutionary level, the dog sees you running. What does it see you as? Prey. Even though it's been, you know, domesticated. Even though we've been feeding it, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the name of the, the, in, in the in vogue dog food is now, but, you know, even though you've been feeding it out of the bag for years, you run, it touches something primal in the dog, and the dog starts to chase. What do they tell you? Don't run. Says Midrash, what does the person do? He sits on the floor amongst the dogs. The dogs run around them two, three times. They think they don't see the guy as prey anymore. They leave him. So too, says the Midrash. Yaakov looked at this pack of wolves that were all the kings of Esav. He knew how they felt about him and what they would hope to do to him. So what should he do? Surrounded by a kachel klavim. Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov sat amongst them. And that's how they left him alone. The question is, what is this strategy? So I want to share with you a few different ideas about what the strategy means in Yaakov's world, but also in a wider context than ours. The Chidushi Arim writes that many times a person is looking at a punishment or something that comes his way, and the first thing they try and do is figure out nine different ways to solve the problem. But all these things they're doing to solve the problem is ignoring the reason why the problem came to them. So as an example, something goes wrong in your house, in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your business, what do you do? What do you think? Problem solving mode. So you immediately shift into that zone, you figure out how to stop the problem from happening, and you think that's it, Bob's your uncle, solve the problem. You didn't solve the problem at all. The Baal Shem Tov gives 
the most incredible mashal. He says, thinking that you're going to solve your problems and that your problems will stay solved is like a woman who is suffering from pain of childbirth. Calls the nurse and doctor, screams down the, uh, the intercom, <laughs> till they finally come in. And she says, Doc, I'm in so much pain. You need to switch my room. It don't matter how many rooms she's going to switch to. The, the sa'ar, the pain that she's feeling, is coming with her. Because it emanates from changes, from issues that she's having going on within her very own body. This concept that a person is running from their problems, a lot of times it doesn't do anything. Because the problems were put there for a very specific reason. And if you haven't solved the reason for the problem, you haven't solved the problem. All that will happen is the problem will change its name. But it will follow you because it's within you. Its reason, its purpose is still within you. Now, it's important to understand what this means. Because obviously, when we're thinking about this concept, obviously, 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 when we're thinking about this concept, this doesn't mean that a person doesn't do Ishtadlut in their life. I mean, come on. A person, could you imagine a person has a kidney stone? They're like, nope, I'm supposed to have this suffering. I'm not going to have them removed. Right? A person, by the way, needs a surgery. Nope, not having surgery. Of course a person is supposed to make the Ishtadlut in their life. But the same way we look correctly at Ishtadlut and we understand that it is not our effort, actually, that brings us the Beracha, but rather Borei Olam, it's God that brings us the Beracha. Our part to play is to act as if we're engaging in the process of bringing Parnasa. How many times have you experienced where you try? You try and you try and you try from one area and six months of work, poof, like this disappears. I think people who work in real estate really feel this element of Hashgacha in a very strong way. Work, you work, you work, you work, put this deal together, everything, ba ba ba, change it like this, change a deal like that. Finally, they make another another condition. You work with the bank until finally the bank agrees to have the new condition is on board, the new thing, the new item. And then what happens? Six months in, after 50,000 phone calls and emails, the guy doesn't get approved for the mortgage. He pulls out. Or the person uh, <clears throat> decides to go another way. Or the seller decides, you know what, change my mind, I'm going to stay. There's nothing that you could have done differently. Nine months of your life, working every day, chasing the leads, trying to speak to the people, paying fee for the lawyers, working with the, the title company, everything you did. Gone. Smoke. And then all of a sudden someone calls you and says, oh, I have this apartment. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if you, look, if you hear of anybody, I don't want to go crazy. I'm just asking you, Two minutes later, you get another phone call. Five minutes later, you close the deal. It happens. It happens often. It happens often when we need to fundraise for, uh, what's it called? For events in the synagogue. Something that we need. You speak to various people. They already helped. They can't help now, etc., etc. Maybe you can't reach them. And then randomly, some person on the other side of the world, Rabbi, I listen to the classes all the time. I don't know them. They know me. I'm in their ear every day. 
I don't know them at all. You know, I just want to, my great grandmother passed away this week. I want to think, is there something that you could recommend that we should sponsor? And I'm like, <laughs> have I got an event for you? <laughs> right? I've been trying to shop it for so long. The hishtadlut that I did with everybody else is what allowed the beracha to open. But unless you have the focus on where it's coming from, it's not going to work. There was a fellow who came once to uh, the stipend to Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov Kanievsky. And he said to him, I'm having trouble in my building. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't know if, uh, if people here notice this. I feel like neighbors in Manhattan somehow managed to avoid each other much more successfully. Like in Israel, when I lived in Israel, you saw every neighbor in the building. You saw them like every day. Your kids played with their kids. You know, you had fights over who's, you know, if you had a, a late Shabbat meal and you were singing, you know. You inter- there was interaction with all the neighbors. A bad neighbor could ruin your life. Anyone here had a bad neighbor? I had one once. Every time complaining. If I sneeze too loud, knock at the door. If we sang for three minutes on Shabbat Friday night, trying to sleep, uh, it's 8.30. <laughs> but legit, this is, you know, bad neighbor, take the time out of your life. They don't stop. And not only when they complain, but even the times when they don't complain, you're worrying about making sure that you don't give them cause to complain. Like they're living rent-free in your head. The guy comes to the stipler Gaon, to Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov. He says to him, I don't know what to do. I have this neighbor in my building causing me issues. I don't know what to do. It's driving me crazy. You know, what do you think I should do? Should I move? Should I attack? Should I, you know, call him to bed, Dean? He said, listen, you should focus on tefillah. Pray. Tov, you know, we say, Shachen uh, Tov, right? Uh, what's one of the things that we pray for? Shachen, right? Me'achachok. Right? You pray for a good neighbor. And even if you don't get the good neighbor, at least you get State Farm. <laughs> they like a good neighbor. Anyway, so the point is, yeah, you pray, that's what you should do. Anyway, the guy comes, comes back to the stipler like a year later. He says, Dachila, please, I'm sorry. Is there any way you could take off the kepeda on me? You know what kepeda means? Kepeda is when someone is upset at you. And sometimes when someone's upset at you, then there can be things that are going wrong. Sometimes our rabbis tell us that if a person sees a streak of many things going wrong, they should start thinking to themselves, what's going on here that this is happening to me? Is there someone that I upset? You know, is there a rabbi maybe that I didn't treat with kabod? Uh, maybe my parents, uh, they're feeling neglected. So there's a dean, there's a judgment against me. That things seem to be kind of hitting me one after the next. Right? But Gemara actually says, what happens when a person has Yisurin? What should he do? He should look into his actions. What is he doing wrong? Anyway, so he tells the stipend, he says, listen, please, you must forgive me. He says, forgive you for what? He says, you know, in the, in the truth, you told me to pray. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I said, pray a shmer, I'm leaving the building. I'm going to leave my troubles behind me. Hit the road, Jack. He goes to another place. He moves into the new apartment. What happens? He has more neighbors that are bad, and they're worse than the first ones. He says, Rabbi, it must be that you're upset at me because I didn't listen to you. 
The rabbi says, it's not because of Kipeda. It's not because I'm upset at you. It's not Ayn Hara. It's not a, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a Navi. He says, but I know I have a, a Kabbalah of a tradition that I was handed down from my rabbis. If a person has something going wrong in their life, you don't solve it by running away. Yeshev benehem. Vayeshev Yaakov be'eretz megurayaviv. So that's why I mean when I say it's turned inside out. Because in the Pasuk, you look at it, you're like, oh, why is Yaakov moving there? That's where his parents lived. Says the Midrash, exactly the opposite. Why is Yaakov living there? Because that's where Esav lives. A version of keep your enemies closer, perhaps. Okay? My friends, at the end of the day, this concept of living with emunah, it's not always easy. Because sometimes you're trying to figure out, what does Hashem want? Should I be changing it? Should I not be changing it? But there's a very powerful lesson that actually a person has a choice to see the, the difficulties that he has, to see the problems that he has, and not to be stressed to figure out how to leave them behind, but to kind of sit down in them and make yourself comfortable, you know? Scooch around a little bit until it feels, you feel comfortable there. Not, not so that you stay there. Not so that you stay there forever. But so that instead of running from it, you're listening to it. You're listening to the tzah. You're understanding what is it that Hashem is sending me in this message. And then when you fix the source of the problem, the problem goes away. Most of us, that's not how we live our lives. That's not how we live our lives. Imagine a person who has a leak in his roof. And every time it rains, what does he do? He's running around with buckets, with towels. You know, he's uh, mopping the floor. All he's doing every time he has this problem is dealing with the symptoms. When if only he took a piece of gum, you know, if only he fixed the roof, he wouldn't have to deal with these symptoms anymore. The challenge sometimes is to figure out where in the roof is it leaking. So I like this mashal because it tells me that some people like Dibs are looking around on the floor for where's the puddle. But the smart guy, what does he do? He lifts his eyes and he looks, where is the water coming from? A person who lives with the correct hashkafa doesn't spend his eyes, doesn't spend his time having his eyes look for the puddles in his life. Rather, he looks up and he finds Where's that problem coming from? Why is Borei Olam in heaven sending me this? It's a very different way, a different, very different mindset. And dare I say, a person can fix the issues. But sometimes you fixed it so fast that you didn't give yourself time to actually hear it. Many times we find in Torah an iteration of this idea. And I think that if I, if I had to kind of limit it to two words, I would say that one of the greatest ideas that we find in Judaism, and it has never been in the history of mankind, it has never been more relevant than it is now. I'm aware of the cliched nature of saying that, but it's never been more relevant than it is now. So much of the Torah is giving you advice in the form of two words. Slow down.
You're upset about something. You want to yell at the guy. Slow down. Wait. You're angry. You want to get, get revenge. Slow down. You see somebody. You want to judge. Oh, I know what the story is. This is what the story... Slow down. Wait. Let it play out. Maybe you'll see if the guy didn't do that or he didn't mean that or that's not where he was going or that was not his intention. Slow down. In order to be able to listen, in order to be able to see, in order to be able to understand people, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, life's messages, you can't be running 100 miles an hour. You can't. Because when you're operating at that speed, it's almost impossible to hear anything that's being said. So, breathe. He sees the problem. He sits down in it. Think to yourself today, which problem do I seem to have in my life that follows me from place to place? Sometimes I'll sit with someone and they'll tell me, Rabbi, I have all these different issues. And I'll say, could you write them down? But don't write down the, the problem. Write down, for me, what the essence of the problem is. And let me explain what that means. And this is an amazing tool. Sometimes a person is looking at the face of the problem. So they'll see that they have this problem, and they have this problem, and they have this problem, and, this, and it looks to them like they have five different problems. But sometimes if you ask the person, well, what do these things have in common? What do all these things add up to say to you? They start to realize that these problems are not actually problems at all. They are signposts taking them somewhere. And the further and the faster you run, the more painful it is to bring you back to the source of the problem so that you sit there long enough to understand what's being said. Sometimes I like to think of myself as Yonah. Not that I think I'm as great as him. But Hashem says, go to Nineveh. And Yonah's like, nope, not doing that. I'm running away. <laughs> and Hashem's like, you can't run away. You know, like the whole world is within me. Where will you go that I'm not? Abutai, where will we go that he's not? So as Yonah runs away, what happens? They have to chuck him in the ocean. The guy gets swallowed. The guy gets swallowed by a whale, brought back. You know how they have the tuna cans that says no dolphins? Back then they had small kids that said no Yonah, by the way. All the, uh, all the uh, you know, the social justice people. They had tuna fish with no Yonah. And... Anyway. Yeah. Look at how much God needs to do to bring him back to exactly the place he's running away from. Have you noticed that? You're working in a job. You leave the job. You can't believe it. Worse, boss. You go to a new job. Same boss. You don't notice it right away. It takes you six months. Six months later, I can't believe. I left my old job. I'm in my new job. And this is the guy I had. I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. You leave your third, third boss. Same eye game. They're twins. They're triplets, Mechila. They were twins, you'd just be a weirdo because you went back to the first guy. They're triplets. Same guys. Instead of moving to a fourth job, what might you notice? 
maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving me a character of authority that's triggering something within me so that I change or so that I grow or so that I learn how to deal with a person like this. Is this clear? A Yeshiv Yaakov Eretz Migure Aviv. Yaakov lives in the land of his forefathers. Part of being able to follow in the footsteps of our forefathers is being able to deal with our versions of the problems that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends our way. And if we notice that it is He that is behind them, then in fact, we wind up solving the source of the issue. And it never comes back. Instead of solving the issue itself, or the face of the issue, in which case we are doomed to repeat it again and again and again. Hashem Yishmerenu, Hashem should protect us, Hashem should guide us, Hashem should bless us, Be'ezad Hashem and take us exactly where we're supposed to go. Baruch Hashem